The following message was given at Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. All right, go ahead and turn to uh, 1 Corinthians, continue our study in 1 Corinthians. And uh, while you're turning there, we're going to start a new Sunday school series this coming Sunday, an adult Sunday school class on how to read and study the Bible. I think it's going to be like six or seven um, lessons, and the first lesson is going to be on um, Bible translations and how to use Bible translations in the study of the Bible. So, hope that sounds of interest to you, and we're going to read uh, chapter 7, verses 17 through 24, and uh, I'll be reading from the... Superior New American Standard. (laughs) Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each in this manner, let him walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? He's not to become uncircumcised. Has anyone been called in circumcision? He's not to be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing and uncircumcision is nothing, but what matters is the keeping of the commandments of God. Each man must remain in that condition, literally in that calling in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Do not worry about it, but if you're able to become free, rather do that. For he who was called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who was called while free is Christ's slave." You were bought with a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. Well, this is certainly an interesting passage. And um, let me put it in context. So you remember at the beginning of this chapter, the apostle says, uh, now concerning the things about which you wrote. And so... Evidently, one of two things is, is possible, and that is um, either the Corinthians wrote to Paul and asked him specific questions, or uh, the Corinthians wrote to Paul and made certain assertions or assumptions. And either case, Paul is referring or responding to what the Corinthians themselves wrote, the expression, it's good for a man not to touch a woman, you see in the, in the ESV that, uh, that that expression is in quotations, and the reason is, is because that's indicating that this is a Corinthian slogan. And um, it, it's that slogan which actually, um, in a sense, gives us some insight into uh, the Corinthian perspective. We have to remember that the Corinthians, first of all, they had an idea of, of super-spirituality. They thought that, that they really were so much a part of the not yet, even right now, that they had attained to a level of wisdom and knowledge and maturity and, quote, spirituality, uh, which, by the way, is not the best word, but it conveys something. Um, And and they thought that they had reached such a level that what that required of them was 
to change the, their status in life. So, for instance, uh, here they were uh, going along in life. They're married. Uh, they become Christians. They receive the Spirit. They now are these super spiritualized people. And so now one of the ideals, it seems, uh, was sexless marriages. And Paul's like, no, 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 that's not, that's not spiritual. In fact, that's actually unspiritual. And then Paul addresses a number of other conditions related to marriage. But what it seems as, as you read the chapter and then get to this paragraph, which is really the central controlling paragraph of the entire chapter, is that the Corinthians were under the illusion that, um, that, that because they were so spiritual, because they had attained such a level of maturity, that they were seeking changes in their current status, uh, typically in relation to marriage, and that that change in status was somehow a reflection of their new spiritual status. Paul, in this, in this paragraph, actually gives us what is the controlling principle of the entire chapter. We know it, is, it serves like that. This paragraph's a hinge, by the way, for this whole chapter. The reason we know that is because Paul repeats three times the very principle that he's trying to urge upon the Corinthians to embrace. And so what Paul does is Paul puts, quote, spirituality in, in radically different terms. If the Corinthians really want to be spiritual, they really want to be mature, they really want to be people of the Spirit, people of the New Age, so forth, then what, what Paul does is Paul demonstrates to them that that, that real spirituality, real maturity, uh, is in totally different categories than what they thought. In fact, Paul's going to do something in this paragraph which we can, uh, I think, really appreciate, and that is he's going to urge them, listen, remain in the state or the condition in which you have been called. Because the important thing is not your station in life. The important thing is that you've been called. Now, it, Paul's not going to utterly dismiss the stations in, in life in which we have been called, but what Paul is going to do, and this is, this, is, uh, this is critical for us to understand, is Paul basically is going to tell us that being called by God through his Spirit to his Son, so being called in whatever station in life you are in, being called in that station sanctifies that station. It sanctifies that status. So if you were called while married, marriage is sanctified by the fact that you were called in marriage. Are you unmarried? Celibacy is sanctified by the fact that you were called in celibacy. And he's going to give some other examples which seem a little peculiar to us that will talk about, but it's, it's, it's this very theme of the idea that whatever your status is in life, that, that's irrelevant. The real relevant thing is that you have been called as a child of God, and 
Since you're now called as a child of God, whatever station in life you are in, that station's now been sanctified by virtue of your calling. This articulates actually for us one of the great teachings of the Reformation, and that is all of life, no matter, no matter what we do, no matter what our vocation, no matter what our station, no matter what our status, whatever we are called to do, we are called to live all of life before the face of God. The expression quorum Deo. And so whether you're a slave, whether you're free, whether you're single, whether you're married, whatever the case, the fact is, is that you are called to live that life that God has given you and to live it before his face for his glory. You can't, you don't turn around and try to increase the glory of God in your life by changing your status. You recognize status as a gift from God, just as sure as calling, and you glorify God through both. So, the apostle begins in verse 17 with the rule in all the churches. New American Standard, this is great. The New American Standard stays uh, quite literal and is quite a bit less understandable. Only as the Lord is apportioned to each as God has called each. The ESV, I just do this for Jason's sake. The ESV actually does a fine, fine job here when it says only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. Now I'd say the second part of the clause is a little fuzzy, but that's okay. The first part is great. Let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him. All right? So, Paul's little uh, only connects us back to the previous section um, where, again, Paul's Paul's predominant theme throughout each of these marriage and and non-marriage situations is basically remain as you are. And then he gets to this and he says that actually the Lord has assigned to us, has apportioned to each. So, so the New American Standard actually does quite a, a literal job here, uh, only as the Lord has assigned to each one. Now, what's in view there is as the Lord, that by the way, when Paul uses the expression Lord, he almost always has in view the Lord Jesus, all right? Assigned, the idea is, is that, is that the Son of God is absolutely sovereign over your assignment or your apportionment in life. That comes from him. Now, just as sure as the call, which is the second phrase, as God has called, that call is, of course, a saving call by the Spirit in which he uh, enlivens our hearts and draws us irresistibly to the Lord Jesus. But what's interesting is that what Paul does in this, in the beginning of this verse, is he takes these two lines referring to assignment and calling, and the two lines together indicate this, that God himself has sovereignly put you in whatever station in life you are in, and it is in that sphere that he has sovereignly called you to himself for salvation. Now, that doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but we'll see more and more why this ends up being so important. 
And so then Paul makes this, says this, he says, in this way, he must walk. The ESV does, I think, a really good job when it says, let each person lead the life. So, so in whatever assignment you've been called, so whatever sphere of life you're in, in which God's saving call has come to you, you are to continue to walk in that, right? And to continue to live in the station in which you were called. Now, the reason that Paul can say this in verse 17 is because in one sense, whatever your station in life is, it's irrelevant if you've been called. The relevant part of life, the really relevant part of life, is having been called. So let's, let's just like illustrate this. So we have an engineer, we have a real estate agent, we have a retired cop, we have um, a geologist, um, we have two people that say they're retired but really aren't ever retired. Um, so so th- these are all stations of life, Okay. From a worldly perspective, some stations look better than others. Paul's point is, whatever that station or sphere is that you're in, it's irrelevant if you've been called. Because the really important thing about the people in this room is not what they do in life, it's who they are in Christ. That's the really important thing. That's the important thing. That's the thing that binds us together. That's the thing that supersedes. um, Okay, would you rather be an engineer or a Christian? Right? Would you rather be a geologist or a Christian? Now, Paul's not saying you have to make a choice, but what he's saying is, hey, if you're a geologist, great, Fantastic. If God called you while you're a geologist, great. Keep being a geologist. But really, the important thing is that he's called you. Okay? So that's what Paul's getting at here. And so, genuine spirituality is not changing your status because you've been called. It's learning to remain in the status that you've been called as a called person. Okay? And then Paul says... And this is what I instruct in all the churches. Now, to my knowledge, the only time Paul makes this expression, as I instruct in all the churches, is four times to the Corinthians, which may indicate something. And that is that Paul is reminding them that this is what all the other churches are taught, This is what all the other churches believe. The fact that I have to tell you that this is what I instruct or or teach or command in all the other churches is an indication that Paul is saying to the Corinthians, it's it's you Corinthians who have gotten off track, not me, not the other churches. And so he's pointing out they're the ones that are off track. And then he comes to this Uh, uh, basically an illustration of what he's talking about. And I have to say that um, this is one of the agonies 
of consecutive expository preaching. In consecutive expository preaching, you never have the option of skipping verses. If I had that as an option, I would use that option right now. But I don't have that option, so let's proceed. Here's the illustration, verse 18. Was anyone called when circumcised? He must not become uncircumcised. Now, if any of you are envious of my position right now, being able to talk about this, I'd be happy to exchange places with you. What Paul's talking about is when anybody called while he was a Jew, was circumcised as a Jew. What is this idea of uncircumcised, right? So, Barart and Gingrich says it's, that as used here, it's used in other places, I'll show you. The idea is it's a medical technical term, meaning to pull over, to stretch over. And it, had, it was a reference to a medical procedure that was used by Jewish people to conceal their circumcision. So, for instance, in 1 Maccabees chapter 1, verse 15, it's uh, talking about um, the influence of Antiochus Epiphanes upon the Jews during that uh, intertestamental period, and talking about the Jews that had compromised, and 1 Maccabees 1.15 says, and they made themselves uncircumcised, and they forsook the holy covenant and joined themselves to the heathen and were sold to do mischief. So they made themselves uncircumcised and forsook the holy commandment. Um, in Josephus, um, Josephus talking about the apostasy of the Jews as well uh, under the influence of Antiochus and says, uh, this is in Antiquities. Uh, and when they had given them leave, they also hid the circumcision of their genitals that even when they were naked, they might appear to be Greeks. That was the purpose. Accordingly, they left off all the customs that belonged to their own country and imitated the practices of other nations. Now, what it seems to me is that Paul is actually just simply using an example here of remaining as you are. And I think that it ends up being somewhat of uh, what we would call an axiom, a self-evident example. Right? In other words, I'm not exactly sure that this was a real issue in Corinth. Right? Um, there may have been Jews in the Hellenistic world that did try to hide their circumcision. And of course, you know, they, they lived in a different world than we live in today. And they may have tried to hide their circumcision in order to help in terms of their business or so forth, uh, living in a Greek world. Um, but I, it seems highly doubtful that this was like a big issue in Corinth. Um, it's hard to imagine that there were Jewish Christians that felt the need to become uncircumcised. In fact, it's the corollary of this that seems to make more sense. Anyone called in circumcision or uncircumcision, let him not be circumcised. Now, this is, this is probably more of a real situation, especially if there was any, any hint of Judaizing influence 
Now, there's not very much evidence that there was any Judaizing influence on the Corinthians, but you could well imagine that with Paul's teaching regarding circumcision uh, and then the Judaizers' teaching, well, actually, faith plus circumcision makes you complete. Remember, we saw that in Galatians. You could imagine that there was, uh, in a sense, maybe those that were Gentiles that thought maybe circumcision was, in fact, the way to become a completed Jewish Christian or something to that effect. And Paul says, were you called... In other words, did the effectual call of God through his spirit come to you while you were uncircumcised? Don't let that person become circumcised. Why? Because under the new covenant, neither circumcision has absolutely no spiritual value. You, you, You understand that, right? Under the new covenant, circumcision has no spiritual value. Why? Because being a Jew has no special redemptive privilege over being a Gentile. If it did, then circumcision would be required. But the fact is, is that Christ, through the cross, actually brings a redemptive equality to Jew and Gentile. So that circumcision is a part of the old age, part of the Mosaic covenant. It no longer has any special value. Why? Because now through the cross, there's been made one new man, Jew and Gentile, one new man. Therefore, circumcision doesn't make any difference at all. In fact, later, Paul's going to say, for by one spirit, we have all been baptized into one body, whether what? Jew or Greek. Bond or free, right? We have all been made to drink of one spirit. In other words, there is, there is no redemptive advantage to circumcision because there's no longer a redemptive advantage of being under the old covenant and being Jewish. And so here's Paul's principle as he, as he sets it forth in verse 19. Circumcision is what? Nothing. And uncircumcision is nothing. But, and this is, this is the way the, the Greek text reads, circumcision is nothing, uncircumcision is nothing, but keeping the commandments of God. That's all it says. It's a sort of a dot, dot, dot ellipsis idea. And so this is, what, this is what Paul has taught all along. By the way, you go back to Galatians chapter 5, and again, circumcision, uncircumcision is nothing. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, if you receive circumcision, you will be cut off from Christ. Galatians 6, 15, circumcision and uncircumcision don't mean anything. What matters is the new creation. Okay? So Paul is, is, is very clear, very consistent on this principle. Circumcision, uncircumcision is nothing. There is nothing spiritual about it. There's nothing redemptive about it. There's nothing holy about it. It is absolutely, completely tied to the old age, tied to the flesh, tied to the Mosaic law. Those things now have passed away. Gordon Fee makes this comment. It's, it's very good. He says, in this basically, in this basically Gentile church, that will be readily understood precisely because there was, this was never an issue for them. But it is hard for us to imagine the horror with which a fellow Jew would have responded. 
For not only did circumcision count, it counted for everything. So you could imagine Gentile believers sort of saying, yeah, <laughs> thankfully, circumcision, uncircumcision doesn't mean anything. But then you could imagine those Jewish believers thinking to themselves, how in the world can Paul say that? It's the very sign of the covenant. It's the very sign of the covenant with Abraham. This is, this is, this is the mark we receive in our flesh in order to show to whom we belong. And Paul says, not anymore. Not anymore. It is absolutely irrelevant. In fact, it is the cross of Jesus and it's the gift of the Spirit that nullify that which the Jews thought amounted to everything. In fact, Paul's point ends up being that to, to embrace circumcision for religious purposes, as if somehow that does complete you, as if somehow that does bring you into covenant relationship with God, to, to embrace circumcision like that is a denial of the cross. It's a denial of the Spirit. It's a denial of God's grace. So... <clears throat> been a long time since I've heard of any churches splitting over circumcision. Although in the first century, this was the cutting edge issue. Well, so what in the world do you make of this? Okay. I've never heard of, of a Baptist church. A Baptist church down the street split. What they split over? Circumcision. You don't hear that. You hear uh, really important things like when does the rapture happen or what color is the carpet going to be, right? But not circumcision. But what does this mean? Well, in the context, this is far more radical than we may recognize. Fee suggests that we take this principle and work it back into what's gone before to say maybe something like this. Marriage doesn't matter. Celibacy doesn't matter. What matters is keeping the commandments of God. You see, it's the same thing, right? Whatever the status is that you were called in, that ends up not being the main thing. So if you were called as a Christian while you're married, hey, praise the Lord. Be a, be a, 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 a solid, called husband, wife, whatever. Were you called while not married? Doesn't make any difference. That's not what matters. Now, you have to understand that I realize that this sounds virtually heretical in light of our evangelical subculture that idolizes marriage. Okay? Paul's saying it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant. Now, he's not saying your marriage is unimportant. Okay? It's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is if you're married or unmarried, That's not what ultimately matters. What really matters is keeping God's commandments. Huh. That sounds legalistic. We should just move on. Keeping God's commandments? 
you do understand there, there's just this. Uh, so, so you tell me, how do you fill this in? Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. But keeping the commandments of God, dot, dot, dot. How do you fill that in? Is everything. Right? That's the contrast. It's everything. Paul doesn't have to say that because it's clearly implied. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. What's everything? is keeping the commandments of God. In other words, obedience. Right? Obedience. Um, my goodness. Um, how do you think the modern church likes the message of obedience? Is that like one of their favorite? Okay. The way I understand it is that's the way you build a mega church, is preach hard on obedience, right? <laughs> No, actually, it's just the opposite. Avoid obedience. Avoid the subject of obedience at all costs. And yet, here's what Paul says. So, the ethical imperatives that reflect God's will, which we call his commandments, we're supposed to obey. And that's the really important thing. So, in a sense, we don't, we don't do the works of the law, according to Paul, but what do we do? We fulfill the law by love, and it is in that fulfillment by love in which we're obeying the commandments of God that we're doing the commandments of God. We're keeping the commandments of God. We are obeying. You know what's so funny is that you have really two different kinds of people when it comes to obedience. You have those that will excuse themselves for all disobedience at the drop of a hat. They have all kinds of really good reasons why they don't have to obey this command or that command. And then you have other people that beat themselves relentlessly with every violation of every, God, uh, uh, every command of God and forget that Jesus actually died for our disobedience. Okay. And so just be clear, Paul is making, it, uh, ma- making his point. Here's, here's what matters. Here's what matters Single people, here's what matters, husbands, here's what matters, wives, is not, here's what matters, retired people, here's what matters, uh, employees, employers, here's what matters, not actually the station in which you were called, but what ultimately matters is now that you're called, you're keeping the commandments of God. Verse 20, he reiterates the rule. <laughs> Each man must remain in that condition, that calling in which he was called. Now, here's actually a little play on words, and interestingly enough, the New American Standard kind of um, muddies up the play on words, okay? I didn't look at the ESV. Does the ESV maintain the play on words? Oh, did you bring, you brought your, your Greek, you show off? Okay. So, what's clear in the Greek text is there's a play on words between the verb, we're called, and then in the calling in which you were called. And by in calling, what Paul's doing, so New American Standard actually says the condition in which you were called. What's the ESV do? Any ESV readers? Uh-huh. No, 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 no. Verse 20, verse 20. Okay, that's the ESV also? They go with the condition? Okay. The play on words is, um, and we'll talk a little bit about this in Sunday school when it comes to translations. The play on words is, is interesting because what Paul does is he takes the term calling, 
which for Paul almost always refers to the idea of effectual calling, but here he now in a sense sort of substitutes the idea of calling for the station of life in which you were. So, so you understand what he's doing. He's now bringing the idea of those who are called, the station in life that they had was their calling. Okay? That's the play on words. Now, what happens here is that Paul, again, ends up doing something that eventually becomes revolutionary at the Reformation. But here he says, in this, that is in this calling, he must remain. So the call to become believers came to us in the sphere of our calling. That is our state, our station. This means that the one calling, that the one calling, the salvation calling, sanctifies the other calling. And because of that, Paul says, don't seek to change it. Just glorify God in it. You understand how this is working, right? So here you have people that, that, that no doubt thought, well, because I'm a new creation and because I'm spiritual and because I got the Holy Spirit, I can't remain doing this or being that. And Paul says, that's nonsense. Because you've been called, guess what? That sphere in which you were called, that was the calling now in which you were called. Now he illustrates it from slave to, from slavery. Verse 21, were you called while a slave? Okay. Now look at verse 21. And then compare it to verse 18. Was any man called when he was already circumcised? Verse 21, were you called while a slave? What's the first thing that, that you notice about the two verses? Hmm? This is a question that leads to better Bible reading. Oh, there we go. Yes. So verse 18 is third person. Was anyone called? In verse 21, it switches to the second person. Were you called? Okay. So it goes from an impersonal, was anyone, now to... Were you called, right? So that's the first thing, As we notice there's a switch from third person to second person. Notice also there's no corollary, right? So understand, so were you called while you were circumcised? Don't become uncircumcised. Were you called while uncircumcised? Don't become circumcised. Now here it goes, were you called while a slave? Okay. It, but notice there's no corollary. Were you called while you were free? Don't become a slave. Why would Paul leave that out? Well, because it wasn't necessary. It wasn't necessary to say that as a corollary because nobody was tempted to become, you know, nobody thought, oh, praise the Lord, I'm a Christian. I think what I'll do is go and become a slave now. Okay? So there was no need for the corollary. So the fact that there's no corollary, but more importantly, that it goes from third to second person, indicates this probably was actually much more of an issue in Corinth than the issue of circumcision, uncircumcision. So he says, were you called as a slave? Then he says these wonderful words. Don't be concerned about it. Don't let it bother you. So what we would think would be something like this. Paul would say, were you called a slave? 
write to your congressman. Were you called while a slave? Protest. Were you called by while a slave? Run away. Actually, he says something that seems absolutely counterintuitive to us. Were you called while you were a slave? Don't let it bother you. What? The idea behind this is, is don't be preoccupied with it. Were you called in a, in, a, in a state of slavery? Don't be preoccupied with it. Fee here is, is excellent. He says, his point right along, therefore, has not simply been stay where you are, but precisely as in this case, do not let your social condition be a concern to you. A person's calling in Christ eclipses such conditions and thereby also transforms them into situations where one may live out one's Christian calling. So in other words, so where were slaves on on the social ladder in the Greco-Roman world? Well, typically slaves were on the lowest rung of the ladder. There were some domestic slaves, actually, that would have high status, um, but still only the status within slavery. Um, by the way, you could sell yourself into slavery if you were in debt in the, in the Roman world. Okay? And so there are actually accounts of senators and doctors selling themselves into slavery, into domestic servitude. But make no mistake about it, that, that whole social sphere of slavery, it is, by the way, it's estimated that one out of every three people in the Roman Empire at the time of Paul were, was a slave. One out of three. Paul says, did God come to you in amazing, saving grace while you were a slave? Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Now, Paul does not stop there, okay? Notice there's this qualifying exception. And he says, but indeed, if you are able to be free, rather make use of that. Now, there, I, I will tell you that there is some exegetical debate about the meaning of the phrase. It's, it's actually a, another uh, ellipsis, a dot, dot, dot. Um, I think that uh, the, the, the meaning is... is Really not that much in doubt. The, 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 the reading goes like this. Um, um, uh, if you're able to become free, rather make use of it. Right? In all likelihood, I'm like 98.5% sure that make use of is make use of the freedom that you can get. Right? So, in other words, if you're able to get freedom. So, so Paul, Paul is a total realist, right? And we've seen this all the way through with the, the marriage issues in the first part of chapter 7. Paul does not have these ironclad rules. He has these, in a sense, in many ways, uh, guidelines. And he recognizes we live in a fallen world. There's going to be exceptions. Well, here, here's a positive exception. So, if, you're, if you were called by a slave, don't worry about it. Don't be preoccupied with it. Now, if you're able to get your freedom, then, then go ahead and do that and make use of your freedom. But here's why Paul can say that. 
because of verses 22 and 23. Here's why. For the slave called in the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Freedman. By the way, this is a this is a specific word in the Greek text, and it means a manumitted slave. A slave who had gained their freedom. At that point, the slavery becomes somewhat metaphorical, right? You have a slave who comes, who is called in the Lord. They have now a freedom because they are now Christ's freedman. So you guys know, we've been, we've gone into the prisons now since, when did we start, Charlie? Maybe 2002, right? Going into NSP. And I will tell you, that some of the most liberated people I've ever met have been incarcerated. Because true freedom in Christ has nothing to do with the status of life. And so this is why Paul says, if, you're, if, you, if you were called while you're asleep, don't worry about it. If you can get your freedom, go ahead, do it, use it. But just remember that if you were called when you were a slave, you know what you are? You are Christ's freed man. Now he's a corollary here. No corollary in the first. There's a corollary here. Likewise, the free man who is called is Christ's slave. That's wonderful, right? So what redemptive value is there in being a slave or free? None. None. Why? Because if you're called while a slave, you are Christ's freedman. If you are called while free, guess what? You're Christ's slave. It really is magnificent, isn't it? And so, whether we are free or slave in this world, we all become slaves of Christ when we're called, and we all become free when we're called. What Paul is doing here is Paul is is undermining the social status of slave and free. So, you you know, there there were certain distinctions that were made in the ancient world, right? What was the most fundamental distinction from a Jewish perspective? It's easy. You had Jews and everybody else, <laughs> which everybody else is Gentiles. Okay, gents for short. All right. Now, just teasing. <laughs> The idea of the world divided into two peoples, Jew and Gentile, was very much a Jewish perspective. And although Gentiles would have certainly kind of shared that perspective, the Jews were somewhat of such a minority that it really wasn't the big dividing category of men. Um, So in the Roman world, if you were Gentile, guess what the big dividing line was? Well, it was not actually black or white. By the way, in the Roman world... Color had absolutely no significance. It was a cosmopolitan world. 
Color meant nothing. The dividing line was slave and free. That was the dividing line. So from a Jewish perspective, the world's divided up between Jew and Gentile. From a Gentile perspective, the world's divided up into slave and free. Bond and free. There's a famous rabbinic prayer that some people think is reflected in Galatians 3.28. The rabbi stands up in the morning and says, I thank you, O God, that you've not made me a slave, nor a Gentile, nor a woman. These dividing lines were everything in the ancient world. Do you not think that we still actually have the same kind of things today? And Paul's point is, none of those dividing lines that the world lives by makes any difference at all. Why? You were bought with a price, whether bond or free, whether rich or poor, doesn't make any difference. You, you were circumcised, uncircumcised, absolutely irrelevant. You were bought with a price. And then Paul says this at the end of verse 23, you were bought with a price. Do not become the slaves of men. And so Paul is obliterating the social status of slave and free because neither one has any significance when a person becomes a child of God. God. That's the most important thing. Vegetarian carnivore doesn't make any difference. I mean, one may be fundamentally smarter than the other, but there's no redemptive virtue in one or the other. All the things that we use to to, to divide people, Paul says, none of, that, none of that makes any difference. And so then he says these words, he says, so because you've been bought with a price, what's the price? Well, the blood of Christ, the cross. You've been bought with a price, which he's already said in Galatians, or 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19. You've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So the idea, you've been bought with a price. It's the blood of Christ. It's the cross of Christ that has been, that has been on your behalf. And so because you've been freed with that price that's been paid, don't become the slaves of men. Now, Paul has to be speaking metaphorically here because nobody's going to voluntarily become the slave of a man. What is he saying? I think that the idea is, is because, because none of those distinctions, which, by the way, the Corinthians were making so much of in so many areas of life, because those distinctions really don't make any difference at all, and because you've been bought with the purchased price of the blood of the Son of God, therefore do not dare put yourself in bondage under men who say those divisions still count. Does that make sense? Don't become the slaves of men. Don't become enslaved to the thoughts and the precepts and the philosophies of men that say certain things count when I've just told you none of it counts. In other words, don't let the spiritual elites dictate to you where true spirituality is. You've been bought with a price. You have the Spirit. 
You don't need some second blessing. You don't need some this or that that we tell you, boy, you've got the haves and the have-nots. Paul would say, don't become, don't become enslaved to men. In 1520, Luther writes three books, and one of them is called The Freedom of a Christian. And the very opening two lines in that book are virtually immortal lines. Where do you think Luther got this? A Christian, said Luther, is an utterly free man, Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is an utterly dutiful man, servant of all, subject to all. That's the great paradox of the Christian's freedom. Verse 24, Paul wraps it up with the rule reiterated. So I said three times he's said the same thing. Brethren, each one is to remain with God in that condition in which he was called. So, 17, 20, now 24. And again, whatever station, this is the station that you were called in. It's the station in which, listen, you can live before God. So this goes for course, in the context, goes for marriage. We called while married, remain there before God. Were you called while celibate, remain there before God. Now, I think that Paul would say, you know, if you can get married, right, you should rather do that. Maybe Paul would say that. Maybe he wouldn't. It's what I thought he said, so I got married. It's worked out pretty well. But Paul's basically saying, listen, no matter what the station is, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Gentile, whether you're slave, whether you're free, all of it is to be lived in the face of God. I have a a little bit of a theological beef with something that Luther did say. Luther constructed an ethic that was called two kingdoms. And he may not have actually intended it to work out this way, but this is the way in which it sometimes works out. You have two kingdoms, you have two spheres, you have the sacred, you have the secular, you have church, you have state, you have, you know, heaven and the world, nature and grace, all different kinds. And the problem is, is that for us as the people of God, there is no compartmentalizing life. All of life is sacred before the face of God. Not only is all of life sacred before the face of God, 
all of life is sanctified before God. And so what this means is there, there are not two different categories of Christians. Um, status is irrelevant because calling in Christ changes everything. Status is sanctified by divine calling. All of life is now quorum Deo f- before the face of God. So whether you build houses or sell houses or change diapers or preach sermons, all of life and every san- station of life is sanctified before God. Let me make this as abundantly clear as possible. When Thomas changes Ruby's diaper, and you should change diapers. Praise the Lord. That act in the face of God is just as sacred as preaching a sermon. It is just as much a calling as going to Africa. We have to get over this idea that somehow there really are two different kinds of Christians. It's not true. Whether you're blue-collar, whether you're white-collar, whether you're a missionary, whether you're a student, whether you're a mother, whether you're a garbage collector, whether you're a rocket scientist, the fact is is that all of it is a calling before the living God, and all of it is sacred, all of it is holy, and what this should do is it should lead us to a sense of contentment until God changes the station That station is our calling, and with that calling, we should be content. So what's the most important thing about you? It's not what you do. You ever notice that's what we do when people say, so, what's the first question we ask about people, right? We don't say, hey, how much do you weigh? That'd be odd, wouldn't it? Yeah. Walk up to somebody. So, hey, brother, nice to see you. What's your name? How much do you weigh? We don't do that. We don't say, we don't even say things like, so, are you born again? We say, what do you do? Right? And so much of our identity in our culture is tied up with what we do. What we do is important. But God is far, far, far more concerned with who we are than what we do. And to be a child of God is the highest privilege of all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage. We pray that you would encourage your people with it tonight. We pray that you would encourage those who feel, Lord, discontent with their station in life. We pray that you would use it to, to encourage those of us who, who know that you have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light, and that's the highest privilege of all. We give you thanks. We give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope that you were edified by this message. For additional sermons, as well as information on giving to the ministry of Grace Community Church, please visit us online at gracenevada.com. That's gracenevada.com.